This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I want to share with you a subject and a scripture emphasis that I haven't heard too, too many um, share, at least in the way that I will attempt to do it today. Having uh, been a pastor for better than 50 years, I've I probably preached, I think, without uh, question, thousands of messages. And then I've I've heard and read uh, so, so many, countless, countless messages. I've heard all kinds of messages. (laughs) Messages on hell, some of them stern, you know, crossing the deadline and the exceeding sinfulness of sin and on and on and on. But I'm not sure that I have heard too many address this subject. What is God's view of my failure? How does he view this? And uh, I'm interested in this question. And I hope you are too. And always when we uh, bring a message, we attempt to find some biblical personality that uh, will illustrate what we're trying to say. And I could have chosen any number of personalities through Scripture because in one way or another, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And even Adam and Eve, God's perfect creation in the beginning. Wow, what a colossal failure. When I uh, pull weeds in my garden, I say, why, why, why? (laughs) When the mosquitoes are getting after me. If you'd only behaved. (laughs) We could have chosen any of the patriarchs. Even Abram, who was called the father of faith. We know, if you know scripture, there was... A time, a couple of times, several times, when he had serious lapses of faith. And on one occasion got ahead of God and fathered a son by the name of Ishmael. And uh, he, in turn, became the patriarch of the Arab nations of the world. And we're still suffering the consequences of that decision. Oh boy, we could have chosen uh, Moses, who got ahead of God also, thought he could do it in his own strength, killed the Egyptian, wondered why everybody didn't rally to him, spent about 40 years on the backside of the desert. We could have uh, chosen Samson, (laughs) the strong weak man, who failed so miserably. So, so miserably. David, oh boy, oh boy, David. Oh, who could could, uh, rival the failure of David after God had been so good and faithful to him? To have committed this horrendous act of adultery and then covered it up and essentially became guilty of murder. On and on and on and on. I could have chosen any number of those patriarchs. I've chosen Peter, a man of the New Testament, and then another of the Old Testament by the name Jonah. You know Jonah's story. 
God called him to go to Nineveh. Nah, I'm not going there. And he fled some thousand or miles the other direction until God abruptly stopped him and turned him around. But Peter impresses me for a number of reasons. I think one of which is that I said he's the most American of all the disciples. <laughs> Impulsive, tempestuous, he acts and then finally engages his brain. Uh, and so sure of himself. Oh, so sure of himself. It was he who said, as Jesus was foretelling his own suffering and death, I, I'll go with you. I'll go with you even to death. I don't know what these other guys are going to do, but you can count on old Peter. I want to tell you, I'm with you. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. What? I'm sure that felt like an insult. Not me. Not me. And yet you know how it turned out. As Jesus was led away to Caiaphas's palace and the trial is undergoing and, and Peter is warming himself by the enemy's fire and a little lassie. It wasn't some burly character who, who, who was threatening with chains. It was just a little lady, a little young lady. Aren't you one of his disciples? Didn't I see you kind of in his entourage? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, not me. Don't know him. Don't even know him. A bit later, another asked him, your accent. <laughs> Surely you're one of his disciples. You're from Galilee, right? I am not. I do not know him. And then a third time, this time, he resorts to profanities, cursing, calling them down on his own head. I tell you, I do not know this man. Precisely that moment, the rooster crows. And Peter is stricken. Precisely at that time as well, the scripture says the Lord turned and looked at him. <laughs> he didn't have to say a word. Peter wilted. The scripture says that he went out and wept bitter tears. He couldn't believe that he had done this. He couldn't believe that he had gone back on his vows. He couldn't believe that he had failed so miserably. It did something to him. It crushed him. It killed him. Even though he wanted to flee, he wanted so desperately to run. But something held him. I think that, that tells us a lot, the magnetism of Jesus. He just couldn't run away and leave. And so he lingered about that weekend. We know the rest of the scriptures that when Jesus arose, he made it a point to ferret out Peter and met with him as well in the upper room and foretold the fact that he would go with ahead of them into Galilee.
But still it seems to me, now you may differ, but it seems to me that Peter is thrown into a funk. He just can't get past the fact that he had so miserably failed. And there came a point in time when he said to his closest associates, in essence, guys, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my nets. I failed at this discipleship thing. I, I don't know what's going on. I can't figure it out. It just is a big puzzle to me, a big mystery to me. I'm going back to something that I understand. I'm going back to my nets. You know how that turned out. <laughs> the scripture says that they fished all night, but they caught nothing. He's a professional fisherman. Failure on top of failure, compounded failure. It's so dark in his mind and heart that he despairs of a life itself. When he and others hear a voice, a mysterious voice, out of the mist of the morning, children, have you any meat? Have you caught any fish? No, 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 they answered, we're, 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 we don't have any. Well, yeah, he told them to cast on the right side. That's another message for another time. But then he invited them to come in for breakfast. I, I have to feel that there was a bit of tension in the air. There was the proverbial elephant in the room. Is this the time when Jesus is going to berate me? Is this the time when he's going to finally speak to me as I deserve to be spoken to? And after they had eaten a bit of breakfast, I think the Lord just kind of caught Peter's eye and jerked his head. They sauntered down by the waterfront, and it was there Jesus asked some probing questions. And that leads me to our text. Let's read together from John chapter 21. Ah, let's begin at verse 13. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? <laughs> I don't know what he means by that. Do you, 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 you said, I don't know what these other guys are going to do, but you can count on Peter. Is he saying now, do you really love me more than these? Or is he saying, do you love me more than the boats and the fish and the nets? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. But Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. That would break your heart. He was grieved because Jesus had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I, I, I pick another character. I don't have time at all uh, to go into the story of Jonah and his colossal failure, but I love one intriguing thing that is said concerning Jonah in chapter 3 and verse 1 of Jonah. Look at that. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> How many of you are glad for second chances? <laughs> Whoops, what did I do? I thought I'd knock that thing off. Second chances. I'm glad for third chances. I'm glad for fourth chances. And the woman at the well that Jesus spoke to, by the way, had five husbands. <laughs> and the one she was living with was not even her husband. And Jesus gave the most significant message he had ever given to that one lady. I'm thankful, my dear friends, God's sixth chance, sixth plan is better than anything the devil can trot out. Amen? So, with this as a background, I raise the question again. What is God's view of my failure? What is, he, what is his view toward your failure? So, I've given you and put in the bulletin there a bit of an outline that enables you to fill in the, 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 the spaces. But uh, before we answer that question, let me just assure you, hear me now, God views practically everything from a different perspective. From us. What we call success, God may call a failure. Isn't that right? What the world calls good, God calls bad. We call death, he says, you're asleep in Christ. <laughs> what we consider a long time, God says, it's a blink of an eye. On and on, God views everything different from the way we do. And so it should come as no surprise that he even views failure different from the way we do. We have a tendency, let me just put this in there for you. We have a tendency to write our successes in sand. We have a tendency to etch our failures in stone. We think this is it. We've blown it. We, it, it this, this is permanent. This is indelible. No way to undo this. We are done. But God doesn't view it that way. Hallelujah. God doesn't view it that way. So, let's go to it. How does God view my failure? First of all, here it is. This may come as a surprise to you that I'll declare this, but he's not surprised by it. <laughs> you say, what? No, he is not surprised by it. Was, what, was Jesus surprised by Peter's failure? No, he wasn't surprised by it. He prophesied it. 
He said, it's going to happen, Peter. You're going to, you're going to deny me three times before the, the rooster crows. Was God surprised by Adam and Eve's failure? No. It broke his heart. It grieved him. It, uh, it perhaps caused him anger, but it, it, it didn't shock him. It didn't surprise him. In fact, to prove that before Adam and Eve were ever created, he and the Father devised a plan of redemption whereby people could be brought back to God after their colossal failure, even Adam and Eve's. God is not surprised by it. Let me, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Write these down in the notes there if you want to read them when you get home. Psalm 103, and verse 13 and 14. Listen to this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And then this. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You know what you are? You're a big ball of dust. <laughs> somebody said, that's the reason I don't dust my furniture. I'm afraid I'm going to eradicate somebody. I did hear the little boy who, who heard that we were all dust and we we're going to return to dust. He said, Mama, I believe somebody's living under my bed. We're dust. That's not very significant. That's not very permanent. And God remembers how we're framed. He remembers that we're but dust. For all of your <laughs> assurance and uh, self, uh, self, uh, sense of self-worth, God says, you're, you're dust, and I, I don't forget the fact that you're dust. I love this scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, chapter two verses 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's us. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God understands you. I've had, I've had children say, Dad, you just don't understand me. Parents, you've been there. He understands you. He understands you. He understands Richard Beckham. He knows my personality. He knows my glitches. And I have them, believe me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strength. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Oh God, there's nothing, nothing I can talk to you about but what you don't fully understand. And so, I don't want to belabor this point, but um, he is not surprised by our failure. That isn't to say, here, let me just stop, that isn't to say that we're to minimize them. 
It nor does this suggest that he condones them. After all, my sin drove the nails into his hands, folks. I put him on the cross, and your sins did as well. It broke the heart of God. It cost him everything. He bankrupt heaven to affect your salvation. So you're not to minimize your sin. But he is not surprised by it. But then I come to this second point, and I, I, I just really ought to pause here and give time for shouting. Second attitude with regard to our failures is this. He forgives them. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! He forgives them for God. He cast them into the sea of his forgetfulness to be remembered against you no more. Oh, oh, I'm so delighted to be able to declare no matter how far we've gone and what we've done, he forgives thoroughly, completely, eternally. Hey, that's good news. That is good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You say, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. I, I, I can't believe that God could love the likes of me. It reminds me of that little lassie who came to one of our altars years and years ago now. She was beyond hysterical. She knelt there and she began to wail. God hates me. God hates me. I shouldn't be here. If, this, if you knew what I had done, you would hate me too. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Darling, what in the world would... 18 years old. What in the world would cause you to say such a thing? She looked with a stricken countenance. I aborted my baby. I killed my own baby and God hates me. And if this people of this crowd, this church knew what I had done, they would hate me too. I don't belong here. How thrilled I was to be able to say to her, Oh, darling, oh, sweet girl. You're exactly where you should be. You do belong here. And God does not hate you. And we certainly don't hate you. You're loved by God. And he wants to wipe it all away. Hallelujah, friends. We ought to be on our feet shouting, He's forgiven me. You don't know my past. I'm not going to tell you either. But I know it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. He forgives. And I don't understand this. An omniscient God being able to forget. But the scripture tells me that he not only forgives, but he forgets. As though I had never sinned. Isn't that good news? The words of David. I mentioned David. Oh, what a sin. He says, 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103 and 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. (laughs) Thank you, God. You didn't give me what I deserved. You didn't give David what he deserved. You forgave him. Oh, hallelujah. If I don't leave you with anything else, I want to tell you God forgives your sin. If you'll ask him to. But I move on, I move on. Answering, attempting to answer the question, what is God's view of my failures? This is an interesting concept. He not only forgives them, but he uses them. Yes, amazingly, God uses our failures. If nothing else, he uses them to teach us lessons that we probably would never have learned any other way. Oh boy, oh boy. When I look back at what God has allowed me to go through, and why, 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 I want to tell you, I hate it that I've been so stubborn. I hate it that I've had such a hard German skull. And sometimes it took those failures to kind of crack it open and get me see, to see things from a different perspective. And he used those things. Even the failures of Israel were preserved in God's word to warn us that we can vicariously avoid the mistakes they made. God will use them. I don't think this is getting through. God is so redemptive. God is so redemptive that he does not waste anything. Not even your failures. Now, friends, that's amazing to me. Uh, Just one little illustration. Back when I was an active pastor, periodically, I would have the privilege of trying to lead somebody to God who, out of deep addictions. I didn't know where they were coming from. I'd been saved at an early age. God had saved me from those things. And so I didn't have any firsthand knowledge. And I would lead them to a point, people can tell when, when you're real and when you're trying to fake it. And I could say, oh, I understand and... Their eyes would cross. Yeah, right. Little goody two-shoes. But I had Jack in my congregation. Woo-hoo. Jack had done it all. He had seen it all. Been there, done that. But God had marvelously redeemed him. Transformed him. One of the most outstanding laymen in my congregation. He was an amazing prayer warrior. And so here I am dealing with these people with addictions, and I'd get them to a certain point, I'd hand them over to Jack. Jack would take them. Buddy, when he talked to them about, yeah, I understand what you're going through, yeah, I can remember, and he relate his experience, he talked with authority. God had taken that brokenness. Amen, crowd. God had taken that brokenness and that failure and turned it around into a tool that God was using. 
Like Joseph said after he had been made the prime minister of Egypt, he said to his brothers who had betrayed him, throwed him in prison and all that, he said, you meant this for evil, but God has meant it for my good. God can even take the miserable failures of yourself and others and transform it into something amazing. Isn't that good news? <laughs> I think I shared with you an experience I had a number of years ago. I was pastoring there in Kentucky, in the Lexington, Kentucky area. And um, south of Lexington, there's a little village called Berea. And it's a quaint place. It has a college, Berea College. kind of reminds me of our College of the Ozarks. The people who go there all work their way through. And it's amazing. They, they have, among other things, tremendous artisans. They had an art school. And, and, but every year they have a festival, I guess you'd call it that, or a show where they would, they would feature the, the things that the students had created. And I want to tell you, you didn't get into that. You didn't get to have your particular craft. In that show, unless you had been juried, mm, juried, kind of snobby a little bit, but uh, you had to be juried, had to pass the peer, you know, evaluation. So it was the best of the best of the best. I never did buy anything; couldn't afford it. Boy, I sure like to go look though. And I'd go about every year. My wife said, "You embarrass me when you go there." Well, among other things, they made furniture. And I'd get right down on my back and look up underneath the bottom. It was just as pretty underneath as it was on top. I mean, it was perfection throughout. But I'll never forget one show I had gone to. All the men had kind of gravitated to one side. And they were all pointing at things and nudging one another and yucking it up. And and I thought, what in the world are they looking at? That's so interesting. It's not all them earrings and stuff. I'm sure of that. And I went over, and here was something I had never seen in my life. The guy who created it, obviously, had been to the junkyard. Because he had taken off uh, stuff that had been thrown away. It is old, old parts of old cars, old Model T parts, and and parts of uh, implements of farm equipment, (laughs) hodgepodge of stuff that had just been cast aside. He dragged it back home and creatively had put it together. Each of them had a theme. There were a number of them. And and then he would, after he welded them all together in, in kind of a tower, he painted them beautifully shiny jet black, and they just shone, and the guys were all standing there. Yeah, I know what that is. That's a part of an old Model A. And another guy would say, yeah, that's an old John Deere part from a, uh, a tractor. And on and on. It was so intriguing. It was just mesmerizing. We were all standing, elbowing one another and sharing. I thought, boy, I'd like to have one of those. Woo! Man! I don't think my wife had been too happy to put it in our living room, but I'd have been happy to put it in our living room. What a conversation piece. And I saw the little tag. I thought, 
man, he got this stuff for free. It's just nothing but recovered junk. Maybe I can afford this. I turned that thing over and I lost my breath. <laughs> Upwards of a thousand dollars. Piece of junk that'd been all fashioned together. And it was so pretty to me. So intriguing. So creative. And so valuable. God doesn't throw away junk. (laughs) He can take the broken fragments of your life, the pieces, the shards, the throwaways, the worthless, and he has a way of creatively bringing it back together and making a work of art out of it that has amazing value that causes all of us to go, ooh, ah, wow. Hallelujah, friends. He is so redemptive. He uses even our mistakes and failures. But lest I go too, too, too long, let me come to the last observation. With regard to our failures and God's attitude, ah, this is a happy one. He not only uses them, he not only forgives them, but he sees past them. He sees past them to chapters of our lives that are yet unwritten. If I could just project onto a screen what God's plan is for your life and your life and your life, no matter how broken you are, no matter how far down you may think you have sunk, if I could just project God's will and plan for your life, you would be amazed. Come on now, God. He sees past them. Hey, hey, can I just direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 11 for a second? That's God's Hall of Fame, by the way. Do you know that? That's God's Hall of Fame. You know who's listed there? Mm, People like Noah. You say, I thought he was a pretty good guy. Yeah, the end of the story is fabulous. But he had an alcohol problem at one point in his life and then committed a grievous sin almost too shameful to even talk about in a mixed crowd like this. Is everybody here? Is everybody okay? Do you, are you okay with him being in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> He's there, whether you like it or not. A- Abram, I've already mentioned to him, who got ahead of God's plan. Then there was Jacob. Jake, Jacob! This guy with a forked tongue. God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I own Jacob. I own Jacob. In spite of his duplicity, trickiness, God got him redeemed and made him Isaac. Come on, the crowd. Moses. Moses, the meekest man who ever lived. It's what God said. There came a point in time when he became so irate, he struck the rock in rebellion against God's 
instruction to speak to the rock. He took some of the glory belonging to God. And God says, Moses, it's going to keep you out of the promised land. Um, You're going to get to see it, but you're not going to get to go in. There are consequences, by the way. There are consequences to sin. But Moses, nonetheless, obviously is in Rahab. Rahab, the harlot in the Hall of Fame. Pastor Joe pointed this out in a message not too long ago. In the direct lineage of Jesus Christ is Rahab the harlot. Now you splainify that one. I want to tell you God's grace is amazing. David, Samson, Samson, you nitwit. I want to say to him as he's flirtatious with this seductive woman, Duh! How could anybody be so blind and stupid? I, I catch on slowly, but I think after about three or four times, I'd get the picture. Big John just goes right in. Until he loses his strength, he loses his eyesight, but God reserves him for one glorious finale. And I, 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 I might argue with it, but Samson is right there in Hebrews chapter 11, whether I like it or not. David. Whew, David. David. How could you, how could you, after God had done so much for you, how could you, how could you? And yet he did. Adultery, illegitimate child. Come on, crowd. Not wanting to trivialize this. It's just the Bible tells it like it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God says after his redemption, David is a man after my own heart. He's in God's hall of fame. Nobody, I suppose, illustrates this better than Peter. After his colossal failure, Jesus calls him aside and he says, I want to recommission you, Peter. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to die a martyr. You're going to die crucified. Peter, uh, tradition says, asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified as the Lord. But nonetheless, the Lord says, they're going to stretch out your hand. You're going to go where you really don't want to go. You're going to prove to me you do love me with all of your heart. Thank God for his redemption. Ah, here it is again. What is God's attitude toward failure? He's not surprised by it. He forgives it. He uses them. Interestingly, he sees past them to chapters of our lives that he still wants to write. God's still writing chapters with this old broken character. He's still writing some chapters for you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.